0: Good morning from the newsroom of The Financial Times. Today is Monday, August 26th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Wall Street is putting new pressure on America's private prison system. And the number of people living in global cities, such as New York, London, and Paris, is shrinking. We'll find out why. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. America's private prisons have come under fire for their role in the separation of families and the holding of migrants at the U.S. southern border. The fallout from the Trump administration's immigration policies have thrust attention on the companies responsible for holding these people.
1: There are really two companies that are are dominant in the private prison market in the U.S., and they're both structured as real estate investment trusts. So they're they're both REITs, and that's GEO Group and CoreCivic. And what we've been seeing is a lot of activist pressure against these two companies.
0: That's FT reporter and the producer of our Moral Money newsletter, Billy Nauman. He says that activism first came in the form of divestment campaigns from big institutional investors, such as the New York City Pension
1: Fund and this year the focus shifted to the banks lending to the prisons. JP Morgan Chase had said we're no longer going to lend to these companies. Wells Fargo had made a similar announcement around that time. And then the dominoes have kind of fallen. You had Bank of America, you had BNP, SunTrust, PNC. The major banks that had been lending to them, they have said, we're no longer going to do this. There are still some banks that are lending to them, but those are more on the smaller regional bank side. And and there's an important distinction to make as well, that a lot of these banks still have contracts with CoreCivic and GEO. Bank of America, a couple days before they said, we're not gonna do this anymore, had just renewed their loan through like 2024. As of now, there are seven of the banks that have lended to them or are, are still lending to them, actually, have pledged not to do so in the future. So when the, the loans that they've got on the books, when those come to maturity, when those are done, uh, they're saying they're not going to renew them.
0: So they said they wouldn't establish lending agreements with these companies in the future, but loans that had been agreed upon up to that point were still in play. But there's no specific bank policy saying we might not reconsider down the line, right?
1: That That's the fear. And, and you know, talking to some of the activists that have been very involved in this, you know, they're, they're raising red flags about that. You know, the activists have been saying, you know, the banks need to put out official policies on this. Instead, they're just issuing statements to the media, but they're not really putting anything with teeth in it that will make sure that they hold them to this.
0: Not having access to credit from a bank such as JP Morgan or Wells Fargo, what does that do to Geocorp and
1: CoreCivic? These companies will need to find ways to get this money because of the way they're structured. They're, they're structured as REITs, which means they have to give back like 90 percent of their profits every year to investors to maintain their, their tax advantage status. So it is very important for them to be able to access the loan markets. They do have money to get them through the next couple of years, but... If other banks, if the regional banks stop lending to them too, I mean, there always will be somebody that'll give them money, but it might come from private lenders. It might come from private equity firms. And it's going to get more expensive. You know, the the fewer people that will give you money, the more they can charge you for it. Billy, private prisons have been a focal point even in
0: these early days of the presidential election here in the U.S. for 2020. But there's new pressure on Wall Street. What's the latest that's going on?
1: As of a week or so ago, Fitch has downgraded its outlook for the private prison industry to negative because of this. So Fitch is saying that, you know, this is going to have a tangible effect on these companies. Their access to capital, the cost of capital is going to be affected by this. There are still banks that are lending to them, but these companies need to have a lot of credit available to them. They need to be able to borrow. They can't hold on to their profits like another company might do because of the tax advantages that come with being a REIT based on that. And then Unlike other REITs, they also don't have kind of the safety valve of being able to put out a mortgage on their properties. You can't get a mortgage on a prison. Theoretically, you could, but it's never been done before, and there's no prison specialists in the mortgage departments at banks. So if you have another REIT and you need cash, you know you can put out a mortgage on, on one of your properties and, and use that to tap into a source of liquidity, but that is not available to these prison REITs.
0: In the past two decades, there's been a shift in city demographics. Those who once stuck to the suburbs flock to big global cities. New York, Paris, London, for example. Here's FT property correspondent Judith Evans
2: people are less keen on the suburban life, more keen on kind of the buzz of the inner city and on locations where you really mix up homes and retail and offices, which means that inner cities, which were once this kind of byword for crime and trouble, have become actually uh, very much in demand and uh, and indeed very expensive to live in. But recently, that's all changed. So, if we look at the numbers, we see that inner Paris, so not including the suburb or the Bonnier, as they call them, is actually shrinking now in terms of population and has been for quite a few years. And likewise, if you look at New York City, um, there's been a couple of years now where the population has actually been going down. And that's something we haven't seen in quite some time. I've spoken to a few experts about why that is and the sort of key reason I think is property prices, people being priced out, that's a story that we know well. And there's a sort of linked demographic trend, which is that the people who can afford to live in the middle of these amazing cities are wealthy people who tend on average to have smaller families and also being single obviously means you're more likely to be able to afford to stay there because you don't have all the expenses of a family. To add to that, kind of on the side, you're getting some homes moving over to short-term lets because... People can suddenly make quite a bit of money through websites like Airbnb, almost turning a home into a mini hotel. That's not the main reason, but it's kind of another factor. So the populations of some of these global cities or the inner parts of these cities actually start to shrink, which is quite a surprising trend.
0: Some people would just call this the natural ebb and flow of city populations. It's up some eras and then it's down again. But in one country in particular, the government is actually starting to uncrowd cities on purpose.
2: That's true. In China, where obviously you've had a massively accelerated progress of urbanization and you've also got an authoritarian government that expects to have a much more direct effect on how populations behave than than perhaps in a democracy, the government's decided that it wants to reduce the populations in Beijing and Shanghai. So it's stopped actually issuing as many new residency permits as it used to for those cities. And it's also doing things like cracking down on illegal housing and pushing the migrants out. The aim of this is to kind of cut down on overcrowding and also to fill up some of the new urban areas that China's been constructing. So actually those cities have also seen a reversal in recent years with the population starting to go down.
0: If all these people are leaving, where are they going?
2: key answer to that really is other cities and other towns. I spoke to Yolanda Barnes at the Bartlett Real Estate Institute in London. She's an academic. She says that there's a sort of halo effect whereby smaller towns and cities sort of in the orbit of your big town really benefit because people still want that urban life. They still want the convenience, the community, the kind of buzz. But, you know, sometimes they've slightly given up on the megacity to make that feasible for them. So, an example around London would be small towns like Margate, sort of a seaside town that's let me say, didn't have the greatest reputation for a while. And and now suddenly there's this flood of Londoners moving there. According to Yoland, you see this this trend in other countries as well.
0: So how has this affected the influence of these global cities, if it's affected them at all?
2: Well, I think we can say so far that it hasn't really, that there's not been a notable effect on the significance of London or New York or Paris or indeed Beijing. But there's been an interesting change in the dynamics of the population, which I think will will play out more over time. I mean, one one side effect may be that other towns and cities gain more influence, that they're able to move more towards that global status. And there's also a social dynamic, which I spoke to um, Richard Longworth of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs about. He says that you actually tend to get these extremes within the cities where you get the very wealthy And then you get what he calls the ground troops of the new economy or something like that, which is your kind of Uber drivers, your Deliveroo people, your cleaners, people who are really quite badly paid, part of the gig economy, but who kind of support the wealthy people. And he seems to think that in itself is unsustainable, that that's a kind of an an unhealthy dynamic. It's making these cities into symbols of inequality. And and he feels that on a social level, something's got to change or, or something will naturally have to change.
0: This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hold up.